Hey, before we get started here, let me tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, Float. As an agency owner, you need quick, reliable answers to questions like, how much money will I make next month? Or when can I make my next hire? And Float, the cash flow software for Zero and QuickBooks Online, helps you make smarter business decisions with confidence. To get an exclusive six-week free trial of Float and set up a call with one of their cash flow experts, you can just visit floatapp.com slash agency journey. All one word again, floatapp.com slash agency journey. All right. Welcome into today's episode of Agency Journey. I am here with Tim Kilroy. Tim is a number of different things. He's got a, a, a varied background, which I'm excited to dig into some of that. But Tim, right now, I think on the site, I want to say it says something about a performance agency coach. Yeah. Um, uh, so I actually help mostly performance agencies, but that's that's I need to update my site, honestly, because I work with not only performance agencies, you know, the Facebook and search agencies of the world, but I also work with development agencies, branding agencies, um, uh, design agencies. So I work with, basically, I work with companies that service other companies in the realm of marketing. Yep. And, you know, and because even though the the execution pieces might be different, many, many, many of the philosophies are the same. For sure. And so anyways, I coach agency owners on how to get better. So the reason I ask is because I know, uh, because of shared clients that you're not exclusively working with folks who are just performance-based, but I didn't know if you had a different definition for what a performance agency was than the standard. No, that is, uh, that is slovenly SEO optimization that I did like three years ago. That's awesome. So what, uh, in terms of your background, like, did that come because of the types of agencies you were working with at the time, the types of agencies you were hoping to attract, or your personal background in agencies? So it's, it's from my personal background. So I've started three agencies. Um, and the first one, I was really dumb and, and I really could have used your help. Um, but you were probably in junior high school at that point. Um, uh, where if it involved marketing, we did it. Uh, so, you know, we didn't really, we did everything like from postcards to email newsletters to website development to what, what, like whatever. Um, and, and that, that wasn't a performance agency, but then uh, my, my second agency uh, that was focused on SEO for retailers. And then towards the end, we added in social because that was hot then organic wow. social. Uh, and then my wow. third agency was focused on, uh, on, uh, uh, predictive analytics powered paid search. So we we're very, very focused on on the impact of of direct marketing. So, so my experience, um, uh, you know, my, the, my last two agencies then moved into much bigger performance agencies, uh, uh, which is now Forward PMX and um, Tenuity. Um, those, uh, so I've, you know, worked with large performance agencies. So my focus on performance agencies was just because that had been kind of my jam and my wheelhouse for a long time. Um, but like the whole process of running an agency is so hard and cool and fun and terrible all at the same time. Uh, right. I've done it so many times and been punched in the face so many times. I wanted to give other people um, the, the benefit of my stupidity. Uh, and making all these mistakes again and again and again. So I want to sort of give them the shortcut. So uh, 
they don't have to have a face that looks like this one. And <laughs> those of you who are listening, I pointed to my face and it's not awesome. So, <laughs> so from a agency perspective, your first agency and our agency sound very similar, which sounds similar to pretty much everyone's first agency. The digital yes men phase of we'll do whatever you'll pay yes, us to yeah. do. Right. But the, the cool thing back in 2001, when I started, there was non-digital things that people did too. Right. So, so we even, we even, we did a, we did a campaign that involved uh, email newsletter, banner ads, postcards, and painting empty storefront windows as a campaign. So wild. Yeah. What's the trans? So what's the transition between the three different agencies? Like what happened uh, kind of chrono- chronologically, yeah, not so, necessarily chronologically, but why the switch into three different agencies? How did that yeah. come out? So, so my first agency, uh, we imploded, you know, like we scaled it up, uh, but I was really dumb and I did the typical uh, founder in the middle agency Um and and since I was uh, uh, since basically I couldn't focus on one thing and I said yes to everything, um, but I was the only person in the agency who had all this in their head. I ended up like being in the middle of like twenty different people, and we we crashed because I broke. Like I couldn't handle anymore. Like we we were running out of cash because I was too busy to send out invoices. You know, it was stupid. And so I like honestly, I I raised the white flag. And, and, you know, had just let it implode. Um, and then the second agency, um, uh, I mean, there's kind of a funny story. I started with the dude. This is actually maybe a decent story. It, well, I'm going to pause. I should not do this. This is the one crucial yeah. thing. When someone's at, a, at an exciting story, you never stop them. So what, when you wave the white flag, what does that mean? You went and got another job. You took time away, yep. or you started. No, I, I, sh- I shut. I, I shut it down. Okay, completely. Uh, yeah, and I and yep. I had to and I went. I had to get a real job for a while, um, because I had to sort of you know, like psychically heal from it. You know, and it was like it was a big ugly crash. It was gross. Hmm. Um, and and i like i just couldn't like i couldn't do it and i you know we couldn't i couldn't manage the the you know cuz there was so much variability i couldn't manage the cash flow right and it was it was just a mess and and i you know basically i just had to say i had to stop because yeah. it was it was so miserable and you know i i i honestly can say that that um I had this like weird love hate relationship with my agent because I loved the, I loved it, but I hated it more than I loved it. Hmm. Yeah. But, but it did let me, it did let me know that, um, uh, that working for myself is really the only thing I'm, I was ever suited for. Built to do. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So back to a regularly scheduled funny story, which was. So, so, um, when we started spin shark, um, <laughs> spin shark was an accident um, because we had actually, my, my partner and I had actually started um, to build uh, a, a competitor to Woot, which is now owned by Amazon. Um, uh, but honestly, my, um, my, and my partner was, was funding the development of that. 
And um, and shortly after we started, we um, <laughs> shortly after we started, uh, he got he ended up getting uh, divorced, and uh, his like his cash got all whacked out. So we couldn't do the thing we were halfway through doing. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, so we thought like, Oh, what, what can we do to make money for this? And then we, we started with an SEO gig because I had a background in that. And then we got another SEO gig and another one and another one, and another one, and another one. And then all of a sudden we're thinking like, why, why are we building that other thing? We got an SEO company. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So then how long was that? How long was Spinshark a thing? Uh, so Spin Shark was uh, was was short. Actually, we um, uh, we started, scaled up, and sold um, in within two years, or wow. I guess I guess a little bit longer. But yeah, yeah, it was it was fast. Um, you know, and and that exit honestly was really driven by uh, like an enormous strategic fit with uh, with someone that we had been doing work with 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 PM Digital at the time. It was just like a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Just made we like we we fixed problems for them. They fixed problems for us. It was it was a really good, you know, really good acquisition. Yeah, from that perspective, very strategic, made everybody happy. So then, to some degree, you had a boss again. Is that I mean, the story in my mind becomes: Do you have a boss again? At some point, you're ready to go do your own thing. How does the transition uh, go for so, that? So, so uh, uh, let me. I don't tell everybody this, but I guess now I am. Um, right after we, we sold Spinshark and I was working for someone else, I got really depressed, mm. like really depressed. And, and I felt, um, disenfranchised. I felt, um, you know, I felt, I, I had felt, you know, like I had made the, the, not the wrong choice for the company, but the wrong choice for me. And even though I was suddenly playing on a much bigger stage, um, you know, at the very beginning, I was, I hated, I like, I hated having a boss, like, a, 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 you know, and as it turns out, like, I am just, I'm a terrible employee. Nobody should ever hire me to work for them because it's just, it's just bad. Just don't do it. Doesn't matter how much I ask you, doesn't matter how much I beg, but just don't hire me because I, like, I, it's not, it's not good for either one of us. Hmm. So what's, so then that becomes, is that the realization then that, Hey, this is not the life for me. I want to go back to the, do my own thing. And the agency is what you know. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so I had to stay there for a particular amount of time. I did right. that. Uh, and then uh, there was a period of time where I couldn't go do agency stuff. Yep. The non-compete. Uh, so, uh, so I jumped in and uh, uh, went client side, worked for uh, Wayfair back when they were just like a measly $600 million a year in sales. Um, uh, and then I was the CMO of Karma Loop, which uh, was a, you know, a street and skatewear company, which as you can tell, clearly I am 100% the target audience. The demo. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, that, you know, like, like a lot of senior level hires, that was not an awesome fit. So, uh, so, uh, after uh, after I left there, I had this really deep craving, not not only to go back to work for myself, but to solve the problems that I managed at uh, you know at 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 Carmelo. 
because like all I really wanted to know then was like, where should I spend all the money that I have to spend? And every, every partner, every, you know, every ad network, uh, you know, was telling us if, if I'd added up all of the sales that they claimed, like we right, are right. the bits, like the business would have been three times as big. Um, and so I, so I set out to, to solve some of those problems. So we, we, we started building, uh, you know, I really came up with this idea around creating uh, some performance, some, some very sort of uh, uh, really data-driven and predictive analytic-driven uh, search experience of both an SEO and SEM. Hmm. Interesting. So then that launches the third agency and yeah, and then uh, and then we kept on we we kept on that that was about four and a half years and eventually we transitioned to to Tenuity. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what a journey! I think that's um, I would probably be in the same boat. You know, kind of whatever we do, there's a degree to which I think it's personally it's like the nature versus nurture debate of like what are we built to do, uh, no. and what have we, what have we learned to do, yep. and. For me, starting, you know, we started our agency out of our dorm room. So I've kind of trained myself that, you know, I'm to some degree my own boss. Yeah. And I think there's a degree to which that's great. There's a lot of upside to that, but every strength is a, like on the flip side, has a weakness. And that weakness is probably, I'm unemployable at this point in time. Uh, yeah. By somebody uh, like, else. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are broken. Yeah. Just like, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, for a while, it, you're like, you can be fixed and you can be rehabilitated uh, and, you know, be a uh, productive member of society. But, um, uh, but uh, honestly, when, so I, and actually I started my first agency way back when, uh, back in, in 2001, not because I wanted to, like I didn't set out to start an agency, but the dot-com crash had just happened. I was part of that. You know, I celebrated January 2nd, 2001 by getting a FedEx package that said, hey, you've been fired. Um, uh, you know, happy new year. Um, and, and, you know, at that point, and, and I couldn't like I couldn't find another job in digital or technology. So I thought, got to feed everybody. Right. So, you know, st- started an agency. And, and as it turned out, you know, when that I mean, I sort of always wanted to work for myself. But once I really did it. Then I was like, oh, hello, self. How right. are you? Yeah, that's okay. awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's uh, switch gears here a little bit because you and I are both working with a bunch of agencies, but across yeah. different vectors. So one of the one of the things that I love to for anytime I'm comparing those with someone else who's kind of sitting in the same seat of getting an inside look at a, at a bunch of these agencies, just kind of what are the commonalities? What are the trends that we're seeing and where the space is going? So and I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but you know, Q2, obviously of last year is, uh, COVID is in, in full force. Mm-hmm. Everything for the most part is down across the board. There's some, you know, if you happen to be the Shopify developer who's putting up the mask sites or something yeah. else, like you're, yeah. you're doing fine. But for the most part, everyone's taking a hit. And then Q3 was really mixed results. Some people, because of this, you know, everyone realizing this is here for a while, we've got to go digital, uh, you know, up, you know, for some and still down for others, depending on the, the industry that you're in. But Q4 into Q1 with no momentum lost, really, most agencies, at least in in what we're seeing, are going bonkers, and it's a it's a great time to be an agency right now. It, I, don't, it is. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, but 
Um, any trends or kind of what are the commonalities of the agencies who are having the most success right yep. now in this environment? Like what are they doing uh, commonly yeah. well? Uh, so let's let's um, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna bifurcate this to cut it in two. So so there's one group of agencies that and this is this has been very successful. If they have the capacity to do so, uh, they're doing kind of a land and expand. So you've got your primary service or your, your sort of the thing you're best at. You sell that first and then you, you know, add additional services over time. And um, that's a way that a lot of people are kind of backing into being a, you know, a growth agency um, where they just keep on adding services. And then at some point, you know, you switch from vendor or agency to embedded partner, you know, like not actually, but like sort of spiritually and functionally, you know, that's, you, you become very tightly bound to the client. So I'm seeing an awful lot of agencies leverage that model. Um, now it does mean that there's a limited number of clients they can take on, but uh, for that kind of work, it makes tons of sense. Like it's mm. awesome. Um, the other, the other agencies that are, are, are really kind of exploding um, is this idea of productized services. So, um, uh, so for instance, I have an, uh, an SEO agency client that um, unlike days of, of old where you would say, oh yeah, it's like 5,500 bucks a month forever. And we'll, you know, like, and now he's selling like, okay, we did, you know, we, we did, uh, we, we do these sprints. And so we've got your analysis sprint and then we do your content sprint and then we do. And so these kind of modular things where delivery is discrete and understood uh, is, is really popular. Uh, also for smaller agencies, uh, you know, having essentially a, a package that is offered without complexity. So it's, you know, simple offer fee plus percentage of media spend or fee plus a little bit of rev share and, you know, and that way everybody is, you know, well aligned and we don't have a big, like a, a big custom thing. Um, and there's, there's two reasons why that, that, why that model is working super well right now. Uh, number one is because things are fairly discrete and there's no sort of deep, um, there's no real deep investment um, uh, sort of or connective investment between between the two because it's just a service, um, and the prices are usually you know pretty digestible. It's easy for customers to say yes because they feel like well, you know, I'm only paying for a month at a time and I can bail out whenever I want and it's okay without a lot of pain. Um, so that's really good for the customers and. Because these agencies are very focused on just doing a thing, they get really good at it really quickly. So instead of sort of trying to figure out, well, we're doing SEO for this person and SEO for that person and Facebook ads over here, a little bit of development over there, that's where your team gets messy and you don't really have good processes. But if you are laser focused on your thing, you actually get so much more efficient and the crazy thing is the more efficient your team gets, the greater your capacity gets and if you were thinking about the bottom line, uh, if your team gets more efficient and you're paying salaries, 
you have just increased your capacity without increasing your delivery cost. And guess where that money goes? That savings, it goes right into your pocket. Woohoo! Send out the distribution right now. Right. You know. Right. So you kind of hit on two different things there. One of the things for the agencies who are not having success right now um, that I'm seeing across the board is just an unclear offer. And there's oh, not totally. much of it. Well, so, but they're never going to do well, right? Well, that's, that's also true, right? Yeah. Um, but you're, it sounds like you're kind of talking about two different things that one is, or there's, there's a couple different components to it. Uh, one is the offer itself. So do you have a clear, Hey, here's what we're best at. Here's what we're going to lead with, whether it's landed expand or productized yeah. or whatever, but there's this discrete offering. And then the other piece that you kind of mentioned, or, and this is kind of tied into the discrete offering is, but what if we also break it down? So you don't have to buy the whole good thing that we're yeah, at, but right. there's also a kind of an intro, you know, discovery offer, strategic engagement at the beginning side of that. Yeah, and and I, actually, I, we call it the you know the upfront offer. Um, uh, and actually, I've got a, a super a super great story. Um, uh, a client of mine, he's in my agency breakout uh, program, which is for agencies that are sort of forty thousand dollars a month and below. It's a group coaching program. Um, he's had an agency for six or seven years cool agency. They know like they know their target market and it's kind of spot on, but he runs into a lot of little companies that are afraid to commit for, you know, even three months because they don't like, they don't know what it's going to be like in three months. So it's hard for them to even think about that. And, and this agency owner, Kevin, super great guy, really kind of struggled with that because he, because the way he is, like he wants to get in there and touch all the stuff and be close to his customer. And he takes the, their mission on as his own. And he's, you know, it's like, he's very passionate, but sometimes that passion, you know, hit made people f- afraid, especially if you, if he's saying like, Oh my God, you know, he's talking about a long distance, a long, a long future. And you're thinking like, well, I'm not totally sure that I'm going to get my money back next month. So I can't, and so we worked on the upfront offer where he gives, you know, uh, an audit and a strategic go forward plan as a discrete thing. And that gives him what he wants, which is the work, you know, and he gets to touch all the stuff he wants to touch. But then the client actually gets this awesome sense of, of oh, I understand what it's like to work with these people. And I completely understand, you know, how they think. And now I'm much more comfortable that we can work together. So at the end, when they deliver the strategic plan, the answer is almost always, well, let's go tomorrow. Right. Right. And I, you know, and I think that, you know, that, that has become more and more popular. Um, and, and actually, and I, I must say, if, you know, wheel did well, that sort of upfront offer is, it's a, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic opportunity for, uh, you know, for you to generate some incremental income as an agency owner, but also that gives you optionality. So you can do the work, get paid, cover all of your acquisition costs, and maybe even put some money in your pocket. And at the end of it, if you're not super happy working with these people, you don't have to make them the offer. Like right. you can say, great, awesome. You know what? We're, we're, we're going to go play on the other basketball court now. Right. right. You know, and I think that's, and I think that is the, the, the real beauty of it. And also the, the client gets something of real and true value, you know, that where they can go forward. Yeah. And that's, that's the key to that offer. And the, I mean, there's a couple of different things that we've kind of found because that 
same, we called it our inbound marketing game plan way back in the day at our agency. And that was the big trigger for us to increase our close rate, uh, decrease our like sales time or increase our sales velocity, I guess. Yeah. But then also particularly because they're already invested at that point, increase the deal size, average deal size on the yes. back. Well, 100%. And actually you just said an awesome thing there, sales velocity. So, and you know, the way that I think about sales velocity is actually just how many times you get people to say yes, how frequently that happens. Hmm. Um, and, and if you're, you know, if you are sort of a typical small agency and you're adding one or two customers a month, you know, like you're not getting a lot of practice at the, uh, on the, on the great, these are the next steps. Here's what's going to happen. You know, and if you're just doing, if you're doing it like 24 times a year, like you're okay at it, but like how much better at it would, would you be if you were doing it 48 times a year? Right. You know, and how much better would the, would the onboarding experience be? How much more confidence would you have in, in the offer? And so the sales velocity just creates a really virtuous cycle. For sure. Yeah. yeah. The more at-bats that you get, I mean, this is the big argument for specialization. The more at-bats you get at one specific set of problems. Um, David Baker talks about that in the business of expertise where intelligence is largely kind of correlated with pattern recognition or pattern matching. You tell a kid. Yeah, totally. Uh, and you know what also is, is cool? So um, uh, this is, this is true. Um when you are younger, you have the capacity to solve more problems. So uh, this, they, they prove this out in mathematics. So between the time you're 20 and 40, you, uh, you are much more likely to break new ground hmm. uh, if you're a math genius. From 40 to 70, however, people think you're really smart because you understand stuff about a hundred times faster than they do because you have all of these patterns to match against. And that's sort of the human brain is super lazy, you know, because it burns up 25% of your calories. And as, you know, as organisms, you know, we're designed to like tamp that down. So you don't run out of food. Um, so, so pattern matching is something that brains are incredibly good at. Right. And so as you get older and you have more patterns to match against, like you, like you seem like you are super smart and all you're doing is playing concentration. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah so there's a whole nother conversation there around uh, neuroscience, but I want to switch- like, like neuroscience and uh, emotional and emotional issues, believe it or not, something that I end up talking about with almost every single agency founder I work with. Yeah. Regardless of scale. Makes sense. Yeah. There's a whole, yeah, whole separate side. I uh, credit, I worked at a summer, like a sports camp through for a couple uh, summers through college. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, um, a lot of, at the time, it was a tough decision to go work there versus, hey, go get this internship, go get whatever uh, for the job. But I credit a lot of the kind of EQ developed there or um, you know, some of the muscle in terms of leadership, encouragement, motivation, kind of, you know, yeah. just what, what, what are the people's kind of the soft skills side of things that I certainly had you know, a different, I didn't have the same business hard skills that I would have developed in an internship. 
Sure. Um, but that's such an asset to be able to, to lean back on and kind of hone into the the coaching side of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially if you are an agency owner or, uh, you know, a leader in, in an agency, um, so many people get confused and they think that the only metric that matters as an agency is financial performance. Right. It's just not, it's not true. That's, that's like, that might be like fourth on the list. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the other one sort of, you know, having shared values or perspectives, uh, having similar work tempos, you know, having a, a similar kind of communication uh, uh, timber, you know, those things actually matter more mm. than, than, uh, you know, than, than, than the actual performance. Right. Yeah. Uh, that'd be an interesting list to dig deeper into as well. What are those things kind of across the, I think there's a perception where everyone values things a little bit differently, but there certainly are kind of laws of average of, Hey, here's the things that consistently for most people equal more fulfillment or more satisfaction with the the business that you're running. Uh, Yeah. By the way, you just said something uh, like super interesting and this goes sort of back to our sales discussion just a moment ago. Um, uh, where you just said people think of different things as, as interesting. And so that happens all the time in the sales process with, uh, with agency owners or agency founders, because they find the thing that they do, you know, really interesting, you know, it's fascinating to them. And, and they also have over time have sort of attributed an intrinsic value to an activity like keyword research to somebody who doesn't know how hard it is. Like, it looks like you're like exporting a CSV from Google, right? It's not like, it's not a big deal. And, but you know, you're thinking like, wow, so I've got to understand the audience. I got to stand the offer and I got to do all this stuff. And I got to look at topical clusters and blah, 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 you know, right. And there's a lot to it. And so, and so as an agency owner or someone who's selling, you talk about all that stuff, like, you know, topical clusters and authority and and you're, and the poor marketing person on the other side is saying like, okay, all right, let's like wrap it up. Let's get to the part where I understand it. Like, so this means what, you know, as a perfect example, um, my head of operations, Allison put together this majestic content bank for me. So she like went through, through, all the content that I've created over the last three years and she put it into Airtable and we got links and we got, you know, and we've got uh, descriptions and we've got them categorized. And, and she showed this to me so proudly and she was like running me through all of the stuff. And I said, this is awesome. But how do we use it? Like, what do, what do we get out of it? And you know, her eyes got wide and thank goodness we were on Zoom because I think if she had not been in British Columbia and I in Boston, she would have grabbed my throat and ripped out my trachea because I, because I couldn't appreciate what the thing, the, the, and by the way, it is awesome, the thing that she built, but, right. you know, from my perspective, I'm like, I'm like, I just make the content, I do it, like, and she's like, but no, but now, like, now you don't have to, like, we have all this stuff, we can do it, and I'm like, 
Oh, right. So, so the thing, the fact that we can create new content from the three years worth of content that I've made, now That's I get why this right. is cool, right? And so it's sort of that perspective <clears throat> thing is so huge. There is um, connecting the wires there between what somebody values and cares about, what the pain yeah. that they're feeling today is, exactly. and what the solution looks like. <clears throat> and everyone's got kind of that different layer of where they're at in terms of technical understanding. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, that, you know, like whether it's the five whys or digging into what actually matters, what motivates people, and then yeah. obviously ma- mapping those things uh, together. It's easy, especially some of my personality, you know, perfectionist who goes deep on the details. And my, uh, I think I took a disc assessment at one point, I forget which disc assessment uh, or which, like what program it was through. And it, there was some phrase on there about Gray's life motto could best be described as it was, had something to do with details and kind of like how, how detail oriented I am. And so it's easy with that personality to want to go super deep on stuff that people could care less about. They want to hear the 30 second, what what is it? How does it solve the pain that I just told you that I had? And uh, recognizing that has been helpful, but it's something to continuously work at and just figure out, okay, how do we, how do we uh, rein in that tendency of the things that I'm interested in that other people care less about? Here's how this custom field rollup happens in this software. I don't care. That's super cool. Absolutely. Right. So speaking of something that people care about, though, one thing that's coming up for the agencies who are growing right now is it's a little bit of a frothy market on the recruiting side of things yeah. as well. We've got the force to everyone being remote for the most part, depending on your geography. But for the most part, we're all still working remotely. Um, obviously, there was a bunch of layoffs and unemployment rising. Yeah. So we've got a bunch more folks on the market and the ability to, to get folks. But then additionally, being out of the office has led to a lot more turnover and people realizing, hey, I could probably work from wherever. So why don't I go work for whoever I want to work for? Right. There's a million different factors that, that play into it. And there's a, a key relationship that we see kind of as a commonality between agencies who are, um, who are scaling pretty aggressively is that especially early stage, kind of in that maybe agency breakout bucket that you were talking about, uh, you know, yeah. somewhere up to up to 40K, but even beyond that, and that's kind of the pairing from typically up to that range, at least it's usually the agency owner or agency principal themselves or one of them who's doing most of the, the business development and client acquisition. And so they need to get the client delivering client services off of their plate. So that's a common yeah. pain point that we see yep. as agencies trying to hire that role or having, you know, they hired the wrong person in that role or trying to step up that side of the world. From a recruiting perspective, though, are you seeing any any commonalities that you're seeing right now in terms of where people are finding uh, good team members or what they're doing to get those people activated and adding value in the organization faster? Yeah. Uh, so, like the number the number one thing that is working um, for my clients is this: um, just getting like making time for recruiting all the time. So at some point, as, as soon as you are, uh, as soon as a, as a founder, you realize like, Oh, I need to have a manager, right? So like most, most founders can, can sort of handle the, 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 the delivery folks, because they, that's the, generally speaking the world they came up from. But at some point there's too many and you've got to stick in this middle management piece or the sales piece 
either one of those when you know you have to give you have to give up direct control. Um, what you like, you just need to know that recruiting for talent is something a that is not cyclical. Like it's not like we hire when we need it or recruit when we need to hire. You need to be recruiting all the time. Now, what does recruiting mean? It just means making new friends. Like it's not it's not going out and saying, "Hey, I I have a job." It's you know about going out and saying, "Like, oh wow, can I learn more about your experience?" Because we are either we have trouble in this area, or we think we're going to grow in this area, and just want to see like who's out in the world. And so. Uh, if you are a CEO and you are not making, you know, at least one hour a week to do speculative recruiting, you are going to be behind the eight ball. So that's that's number like that's that's the primary thing that if you're not doing that today, do it right now. But the other the other really important way to do this is to leverage your network. Because it's not the people that you know already that that you're gonna you're likely gonna draw from, but if you let everybody that you know essentially, you know, you let them know who you're looking for and why, you know, they're they're gonna try to help you because you know people that you're truly connected with or you know, have a true network with, they really do want to help. You know, even if you're just business friends, they do want to help. So, and the, and also, you know, if they're able to connect somebody with you, um, they have just raised their value to both you and to that person they connected. So it's a win, win, win. But you need to be leveraging your network. So don't be shy about putting stuff out on LinkedIn saying, "I am looking for this," even if you don't have a specific job opening in the moment. Um, uh, and if you are an agency CEO. Make friends with other agency CEOs um, and a shameless plug like you would inside of a group coaching experience like Agency Breakout. Got it? Okay. Anyways. Right. Good, good plug. But, you know, you need, to, you need to know other leaders because they're going to meet people that are not right for them who are right for you. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of overlap there. How do, this is a, a more personal question that applies less, I think, to most agency owners. Do you have any hesitations about sharing out job posts from your clients? No, no, no. Hmm. I mean, so, so I just out of respect for them, I do anonymize the name or don't put in the name mostly because especially if it's a, if it's, if it's um, one that's involving a replacement or change to an existing staff member. Right. I, you know, most of my clients staff are connected with me in some way. And so I don't want them to find out that they're getting fired because of something I put on my LinkedIn. Right. But no, I, I try to share that stuff all the time. So I did it earlier this week. Yeah. And I'm going to do it again this week. Yep. Because I have, I have, by the way, um, people, if you, anybody who's listening who needs a job in any sort of agency, I have fast growing clients that are always looking. So you can find me on LinkedIn and let me know if you need employment and I'll do my damnedest to connect you with somebody that, that makes sense. There is. So, um, philosophically I'm in the same boat, you know, there might be somebody listening who's at a client right now and goes and finds something else. And so this was an objection I hadn't heard until recently, but 
hey, those opportunities, like my client, my team is seeing that and they might want to jump ship. And I think it's just like, this is the world that we live in. That's part of like your job is to keep your team happy and engaged and satisfied. Yeah, so There's a better opportunity that happens to jump out via LinkedIn. That's just going to happen inevitably. But yeah. So, so, um, uh, and actually I did a, a video on this, uh, not too long ago, but, but often, um, when someone leaves a company, founders get hurt and they get angry, you know, they sure. feel betrayed. And, um, you know, like you just shouldn't, like people are leaving because they see something better somewhere else. Right. right. And that's awesome. Right. It's not a judgment about you. It's, you know, mostly it's about them. I mean, it could be about you, who knows, but you know, if they're going someplace that they think it's better, like that's cool. Like, and, and, you know, you really should think, you know, your employees, there are two kinds of employees, you know, there's lifers and flyers, you know, and the lifers are those people who like, you know, share your vision, share your, you know, your, your, you know, your vision and your, your ethos and your personality. And they come along on, you know, they come along for the ride. Like there's, they're sticking with you and they provide organizational and cultural continuity. And that's great. Then there are these other people, the flyers who like come in drop their own brand of brilliance, change your organization up for a short period of time, and then they leave. And you're thinking like, well, why do I want those people? Well, there's two reasons. One, you get hybrid information. You get the, you know someone else's experience to that can help your experience. But also, you know, if you've treated them well and they leave, they're bringing a little bit of your culture and your way of thinking and your values out to the world and that doesn't dilute what you do. That actually, that increases the impact. So you can just think about those people who come and go as, um, you know, they're, they're like butterflies. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're spreading the good stuff around. There's going back to uh, your phrase, like entrepreneurs are broken. There is an element where as the entrepreneur, you are always the one until you quit the venture. You're always the one who gets left and never the one who gets to do the leaving. And <laughs> Uh, I mean, until you come to terms with that a little bit, there is a pretty big emotion. You know, there is often a pretty big emotional hit for, yeah. for founders early on. So it's part of the, part of the journey though. Right. And, and this is, uh, I know we're running out of time here, but, uh, this goes back to, uh, something you said about people value things differently. So, um, founders and their companies have a shared identity, right? Company person, there's no boundaries. And so that's why you get hurt feelings when right. someone leaves, because it's not a judgment about you. Or you, th- you know, it's not a judgment about your company or their opportunity. It's a judgment about you. But another crucial thing to understand is that while your identity is completely mixed with your company, that is not true of your, of your employees. Right now, their identity might be mixed with the thing that they do, but not for whom they do it. And so when you are like when you are thinking about employees, you can't think that it matters as much to them as it does to you because it can't. And if it did. It's a little weird, right, because then, you know, then it's uh, then we're I'm sure they're going to turn some kind of stalker. (laughs) True. Yeah. Those are the, those are the people who will be out doing their own thing. Uh, yeah. If it, if it mattered that much. Yeah. This has been really fun, Tim. I appreciate you coming on and sharing. So hit us with the real quick, a couple of best things. One would be the agency breakout Facebook group. 
Yeah. Uh, so you just go to uh, you just go to uh, Facebook and look for agency breakouts, uh, or you can go to klry.co forward slash breakout. You can nice. do that. Good that's, domain. That's my, and and that's my free that's my free uh, free Facebook group. And if you'd like to m- learn more about my programs, you can go to timkilroy.com. Awesome. We'll get all that in the show notes as well. Thank goodness. Podcast I'm looking for, you know, uh, like there should be like 150 or 200 leads coming in by this afternoon, right? Dial them. En route. Awesome. I just, start, I just start buying the Maserati now. That's okay. right. This has been really fun. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great. Great to chat. Thank you for having me. Take care.